Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I want to talk tonight about um, humility and confidence. And I'll, I'll start, I don't know if I've read this uh, recently, um, but I uh, want to share something that uh, I find uh, very to the point, contemporary prayer. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been crabby, mean, selfish, nasty, or overindulgent. And I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. <laughs> oh good, a few of you haven't heard that. Kind of drives the point home. We can have all kinds of noble ideas of how we want to act in the world, how we want to move through the world, if we've been practicing uh, the Dharma, meditation for some time, we think we might be getting somewhere, and hopefully we are learning something. Uh, The the Dalai Lama says, uh, though, if you want to measure your practice, if you have to... um, if you can't help but wanting to see how you're progressing, he says, don't look over last week to this week or the last couple of months. I've been practicing for five months now and I'm, I don't think I'm getting enlightened. Um, he says, look over 10-year periods and from five or 10 years ago, see have you developed? Have you become more kind or more patient or more trusting or more loving? But even then, if you've been practicing for 10 years or 20 or 30 or 40, in a moment, you can seem like you're right back where you started from. This is called beginner's mind in the best of, of circumstances. You know, the, uh, the beautiful book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Suzuki Roshi, where he says, um, it's good to keep a beginner's mind like you're just starting out. He says, uh, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Because as soon as you think you got it or you know it, um, life will show you maybe another, uh, another reality. Or there's a, a, a teaching in Hinduism that says, even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. A 93-year-old saint, in one moment where that sage says, I think I'm enlightened, 
if you say you're enlightened, I'm enlightened, um, you are setting yourself up for a fall. And the habits that we've practiced in our life, they're all in there. They're all the, the old thoughts, beliefs, habits. Even when you know better, they still can be activated. All the old tapes are there. You know, you might, you might think in certain settings, Oh yes, I, I'm I'm finding uh, balance, and I'm I'm being patient with people. Then often, when you go home to your family, your parents, or your kids who know you in the way that they know you, you're you fall into roles and. You know, you can be just a little kid. It's happened so many times where people, they've come, they've sat for a month-long retreat or they sat for a three-month retreat and then they go home and visit their family and it's like they never went away. And this can be really discouraging unless you see this is part of the process. This is absolutely part of the process. And I'll share with you something that I've shared a number of times. In the Pali Canon, uh, there's a whole section of vignettes um, where Mara comes and visits the Buddha. Mara, who, if you're not familiar with uh, uh, the different figures. Mara is the embodiment of confusion, temptation, kind of like the Buddhist equivalent of the devil. And Mara, who was there just before the Buddha was enlightened and tried to knock the Buddha off his seat, you know, and by scaring him with uh, weapons and warriors shooting at him, and then uh, beautiful seductive nymphs, not Mara's daughters, uh, to uh, tempt him off his seat, and then finally saying, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to think you could be enlightened? And the Buddha touches the earth and says, by all the work that I've been doing for all these countless lifetimes, I have a right to be here, and he's enlightened. However, Mara keeps visiting the Buddha after he's enlightened. I was just looking at it. Uh, the, it's called the, uh, uh, the Mara Samyutta. Samyutta are connected discourses. And the Mara uh, Samyutta are these collections of, uh, I think it's 25 different vignettes where Mara comes and visits the Buddha. My favorite one, he comes and the Buddha is... Um, uh, is is just about to uh, to go to sleep. I can't remember. He's just about to go to sleep, or he's just woken up. But Mara comes and visits him, and he says, "You call yourself a yogi? You call yourself an ascetic? You're sleeping four hours a night? What kind of a wimp are you?" Right. And 
as the Buddha says in each of these vignettes, I see you, Mara. You can't fool me. I see you. You're just trying to trick me. You're just trying to create doubt. All he says is, I see you, Mara. And when he says that, Mara slinks away. You know, the old curses foiled again. Now, if Mara can keep on visiting the Buddha, I hope you can cut yourself a little slack when you get confused or caught in old habits. And part of the process in our practice is learning to open to it all, including the times that you're right back to square one and being humbled. This experience of having your old patterns triggered or finding your equanimity out the door or you look at the news and start cursing and saying, oh wait, I'm supposed to be a Dharma student here, you know, as you're saying, I can't believe it, oh, can they do that? Oh yes, equanimity. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be... Um, it can be really humbling. And what's harder is then when you throw what's called the second arrow on top of the first. The first one is uh, the pain of getting, uh, of getting activated, your anger or your wanting or your confusion or your physical pain. Uh, that's the first arrow in, in the teachings. It hurts. It hurts to be caught up in anger or sadness or, um, or fear or whatever. But the second arrow is saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here again. I can't believe, I'm, I know I'm stuck and I still can't get out. What a pathetic Dharma practitioner I am. And then you say, okay, I know, I'm just supposed to be mindful. Okay, anger, anger, rage, rage, anger. I'm so pissed off, you know. Anger, anger, you know. And you're being mindful, aha, my trump card, I just... Uh, sorry, that's my card. Uh, my card that says, "Ah, this is the this is the answer." Just be mindful, and then you find that you're still stuck, or you have a what's called a multiple hindrance attack. The the five hindrances in in uh, in the practice, the five classical hindrances that the Buddha says. Get to know them well of attachment. You will get to know them well. Get to know them well wisely, he says. Attachment, aversion, sleepiness or sloth and torpor, dullness, laziness, restlessness and agitation, worry, and doubt. 
And one of them is bad enough, oh, just getting swept up by desire. But when you have a multiple hindrance attack, and anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Where you have desire, and then you're angry that you have the desire, and then you get really restless from all of this and agitated, and then there's doubt. Oh my goodness, will I ever learn? Will I ever wake up? Multiple hindrance attack. Okay. And it's just overwhelming. So when that happens, we get humbled. I've been humbled so many times. And you might think, oh, being humbled is really a drag. But I have a different relationship to being humbled in, for some time now, it was so painful in my early years. And it's still painful. It's not like being humbled all of a sudden, you know, becomes just a breeze and fun. But when... I see that I am not controlling the show here and that in a moment I can get lost. Being humbled turns out to be a good thing if you don't throw a second arrow or a quiver of arrows on top of your experience that all that turns into is more struggle and more contraction and more doubt. And that kind of being humbled turns to um, humiliation, which is even more painful. But the kind of humbled that really serves you is when it turns to humility, where you stop your struggling, where you let go of thinking you have control, where you release any kind of high bar of expectation of how you should be, and where you give up the idea that you have it all together and you surrender where you truly see you are not running the show. And this is the doorway to the profound understanding of anatta. We've spoken about this many times before. For those who aren't familiar with the term anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A, seeing the selfless nature of reality, which can be understood with this body. Do you control this body? Can you say, knee, stop hurting? If you can, let me know. Can you say, thoughts stop thinking? They just come all on their own. 
can you say, heart, stop hurting? All by itself, your heart gets activated, your thoughts get replayed as you hit the the replay button again and again. Your body does what it does. And although it's so um, humbling to see you don't run the show, it's really freeing to see, oh, I don't have to blame myself for what thoughts come through. I don't have to blame myself for getting activated in the different mind states that come through. I don't have to blame my body for what it does all on its own. I can have input. I can have responsibility where it comes, one, in my reaction to the truth, and two, in my commitment to practice new habits. This is why practice is so important, because it's possible to change. The the Buddha said, this is one of the great gifts of his teachings, it's absolutely possible to change. But it takes intention, it takes patience, it takes continued determination, persistence, aditana in the, in the teachings, determination, and just know that you're facing in the right direction. Mm, that, there's a, a story of uh, Thomas Edison, who, um, as I'm sure you know, invented so many wonderful things, and his one of the great inventions was the light bulb. That was because he figured out how to keep a light lit. And it took him quite a while to do it. 2,000 tries. And somebody asked Edison towards the end of his life, it was a journalist interviewing him, and he said, Mr. Edison, um, how did it feel? to fail 2,000 times before you figured out how to make a light bulb work. And Edison looked at him and he said, my dear man, I did not fail. I invented the light bulb. And it was a 2,000 step process. Imagine if he stopped after 1,500. Thank goodness. Somebody, uh, there's a story of this, uh, uh, this seeker who hears about uh, this very wise master who lives uh, um, far away uh, on the other side of the country and he takes this uh, very... Uh, arduous trek over mountains and valleys to finally uh, sit at the feet of the master, this very, very wise master whose reputation is far and wide through the kingdom. And he says, uh, Master, 
I've heard so many wonderful things about your great wisdom. How did you get so wise? The master thought for a moment and he said, good judgment. And the pilgrim says, well, how did you get such good judgment? And he says, experience. And then he says, how did you get all of that experience? Bad judgment. (laughs) That's how we learn. You don't usually learn from the times that everything is just clear sailing. Those are the times that you want to enjoy. That you, as I say in the the joy course, don't miss it. And maybe it can give you faith and trust and opening to all the blessings in your life and just seeing how beautiful life can be and how fortunate we can be sometimes and open us up to the grateful heart. But it's usually in the hardest times that we grow and we learn. How many people have learned strong, important lessons going through their hard times? Anybody? That's how. So when you're going through the hard times, don't miss it. Not, oh, aren't I wonderfully uh, fortunate to have all of this, this difficulty, but what can I learn? What can I learn right now? How can I find meaning in this? And as long as you're learning... There are no mistakes. Nothing is wasted. As the Buddha says in his uh, advice to his son Rahula in one of the, uh, the suttas, uh, number 61 in the Middle Length Discourses, he says, you might do something really unskillful. Likely you will in your life. Don't start beating yourself up for having made those mistakes. If you beat yourself up and you just um, feel guilty for the mistakes you've made, uh, then you're just continuing to punish yourself. And he says, instead of guilt, have what's called wise remorse. Wise remorse, which is seeing, what can I learn from this? To feel the pain of what you've done and to dedicate your, um, your future actions to doing it a different way. And you can dedicate the merit of waking up to um, the benefit of, um, of perhaps whoever was on the uh, receiving end. And of course, if you can make amends, 
It's so helpful to clean the slate and sincerely apologize. Or as the Buddha says, also to find a wise person to confess to them. But if you keep on beating yourself up, it simply leads to a cycle of self-punishment. And you either keep on doing the very same thing to confirm what a rotten person you are, or feel hopeless in the possibility and, um, and are at the mercy of that contracted mind state. And just think about it, how many supposedly wise beings have fallen? How many Roshis or Rinpoches or Ajans? How many great teachers have gotten confused. There's no guarantees. Supposedly, if you uh, attain first stage of enlightenment, you uh, can't uh, create harm. But I've seen some very wise beings or beings who have a lot of wisdom come through them, who then create harm through ignorance. Whether it's in Buddhism, or in Christianity, or uh, any faith, Hinduism, any faith, Judaism, Islam. There's no guarantee when somebody takes a seat and, and seems to be uh, a carrier of wisdom that they won't make mistakes. And in fact, um, there's one, one teaching from Padmasambhava in the Tibetan uh, tradition, the, supposedly the person who brought uh, Buddhism to, from, um, from India to Tibet. And he talks about uh, the, having the deep understanding of emptiness, the deep kind of wisdom that sees the emptiness of things and also the importance of understanding the consequences of our actions, the law of karma. And he has this one line, he says, though my view is as vast as the sky, that is my view of emptiness and the, the selfless nature of reality, Though my view is as vast as the sky, my attention to the law of karma is as fine as a grain of sifted barley flour. And the Dalai Lama was asked, what's more important, understanding emptiness or understanding karma? And he said, if you've got to choose between the two, go for karma. Because if your understanding of emptiness is, is not complete to the point where you might do some unskillful things because you don't attend to the law of karma, 
you can start facing in the wrong direction and fall off that pedestal and uh, be creating some very bad circumstances for yourself. But if you are clear about the law of cause and effect and saying, I don't want to intentionally create harm for myself or for others, you keep on facing in the right direction and eventually you will wake up to the deepest understanding of emptiness. So, being humbled. This is a process of purification with every time you learn a little bit more. And when you look back on your life and you look back and you see, oh my goodness, how could I have done that? Have you ever looked back on your life and done that? I've done plenty. When I first started doing loving-kindness practice and loving-kindness retreats, and you're saying to yourself, oh, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be filled with love. And what often happens is all your old memories come up. May I be happy and share my love well. You know, oh no, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. And it, it could be really, really humbling. But one thing that I find helpful is to see if I'm cringing and I'm feeling really yucky about reflecting back, not with guilt, but just with what's called in the teachings hiri and otapam, two uh, wholesome states that are usually translated as moral shame and moral dread. These are wholesome states. We call them conscience. Where you look back and you say, oh my goodness, that that was a bit off then it means that you're no longer the same person. If you look back and you're cringing, you're no longer the person that did that. You've changed. You've grown. Even if for a few moments you can forget and be back in the third grade or do something again that falls off the pedestal, If you're cringing, it's a good sign. As long as you don't add on all of the self-judgment and self-hatred and self-loathing that's guaranteed to lock it in. And so, how to work with this being humbled and seeing holding it in a different way. And this is where you really need to open up to letting in with a wise heart 
understanding what you can learn from your mistakes. Mm. This is uh, from um, Portia Nelson. Some of you might be familiar with this. This is called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. (laughs) That's what we're doing. We're learning. As long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. And little by little, you start to deepen that understanding. As long as each time you can hold with compassion, just like you'd hold a little child who got lost. If you saw a little boy or a little girl really giving themselves a hard time and doing, having done something uh, that they, they really feel bad about, what do they need? They don't need more scolding. Come on, kid, get it together. Even just hearing that, you might say, oh, no, don't say that. You know, they need to be held. It's okay. You're, you're basically a decent, a good person, little one. You just forgot. You just got lost. And that's what we need as well. You just need to hold yourself with kindness, with compassion, and see, what can I learn from this? And to be willing to allow yourself to open up to it. Because often we can just be lost in denial. Oh, no, 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 I, I, I can't, I don't want to go there. I can't believe I did that. No, I, or we get defensive. And to truly cop to what we're, we've done, there's a tremendous kind of relief. You know that you're right on the cusp, somebody kind of busts you on something, and there can be a kind of like, you know, getting around it, or, well, I, I didn't really mean to, or this is why I did this, and, you know, well, if you, if you just simply hear, oh, I'm so sorry. The human heart wants to forgive. 
Or if you hear or you say, I'm so sorry. It was, uh, I'm remembering when I was, uh, when my son Adam was young. And um, we used to watch Sesame Street together. And uh, there was this song that uh, was, was like a theme song. Um, and it was, uh, everyone makes mistakes. It was, uh, everyone makes mistakes, oh yes they do. Your sister and your brother and your dad and mother too. <laughs> Big people, small people, matter of fact, all people. I haven't sung the whole verse in a long time. It's just coming to me. Everyone makes mistakes, oh yes they do. And... When I'd make a mistake, that was my theme song. You know, it, when he'd make a mistake, I'd remind him too, and say, "Okay, well, let's let's do it better next time." But when I would make a mistake, or I'd lose my patience, or lose my temper, and I'd say, "I'm so sorry," and I think it's a really good model to show your humanist to your children, there's something about that kind of humility that is really impressive. And the, the people who I'm most inspired by are the ones that really embody humility, who there's not a, a whiff of arrogance. And of course, you know, we can all get into our self-righteous mode. But when somebody really embodies that feeling of not being better than and seeing and being willing to show their humanness, it helps us be just okay who we are. You know, if you... If you you see somebody who's trying to impress just a little bit. It's not very impressive, is it? But somebody who is just completely themselves, ah, what a gift. Then it helps you be just yourself. So practicing all of this, mm, this is where Confidence comes in. Because the more you are just yourself and the more you're not taking credit for how wise you are or the kindness that comes out of you or the sincerity that comes through you, the confidence is not so much, I have it together. Actually, the confidence comes from seeing it's not me. It's not me. I can't take ownership. On one hand, it is you. On another, it's not. It's not, I can't take credit for the goodness that life has given me. I can't take credit for the love that wants to come out of me. And when I'm saying me, I'm speaking for you, you know, for all of us, and for me. But 
to take credit for your beautiful qualities is to miss the basic point of anatta. Can you say, my unconditional love is better than yours? It doesn't make any sense, does it? No. My pure awareness is really cool, you know, and maybe even brighter than yours. No. Awareness is just shining through all of us. And to take credit for it is missing the point. And when you are speaking from your heart, or you're speaking from a place of love and care, the confidence comes from the fact that this is something that's been gifted to you without taking the ownership of it. When people talk about personal power, actually it's a kind of contradiction, I think. Personal power, if you take personal power, or if you take credit for your personal power, then all that turns into is arrogance and superiority. And sure, there are powerful people who are caught up in their own egos. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you can think of somebody. Uh, you know. Many, 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 many people caught up in their egos. And, and as you know, the saying goes, power corrupts. Power and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the true power is the impersonal power that comes when you're not taking credit, but you are channeling, standing in your truth. Like uh, Gandhi talks of Satyagraha, the truth force, the force of truth that we can tune into when somebody is speaking and it's not them trying to show how clever they are, but they're just speaking with an authenticity because they're so aligned with truth. Like Martin Luther King comes to mind. Or Gandhi. You know, or the Dalai Lama. Or there's a kind of fearlessness. Uh, there's a quality of fearlessness that comes from that. Because there's not an insecurity that says, oh, what if they find out behind this mask that it's just this little child that wants to show that I'm tough. You know, and if you think of the people who have a, a misguided kind of power. I tune into their basic insecurity that needs to show how tough they are all the time. But when somebody is so aligned with the truth, there's a quality of fearlessness that comes through them. Have you seen that? 
Who inspires you like that? Anyone you can think of? Who's that? Who is it? I couldn't hear. Jimmy Carter. Beautiful. Perfect. Jimmy Carter. He just, he wasn't trying to impress anyone. And there he is just saying, speaking the truth fearlessly. Uh, I I don't know if you had a a chance to see um, in the last day or two, uh, Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand. Anybody see her speech uh, in the last uh, 24 hours? Just a little clip of it. There she was. She's, she's an extraordinary being who up until just recently was beloved be- because how seemingly uh, pure and innocent uh, and just good. She's kind of playful and all. But when she got up and spoke and said, it was so moving. It was so moving. We are not going to allow assault weapons in our country anymore. Sorry. And there was just a, a force that came through her that you knew you don't want to mess with her. As sweet as she is, she is just speaking the truth and says, this is how it's going to be. That's the kind of confidence I'm talking about. The kind that's not wrapped up in ego at all, but you become a conduit for the truth force. And that fearlessness, that power, that strength is directly connected to the understanding of the selfless nature of reality. And this is where humility and confidence I find so close together because in that humility that sees, oh, in a moment I can be lost. And there's a kind of um, surrendering of the ego that allows for something deeper to, to move through that allows, creates the space for the truth to come through The same person that says, I blew it that time, will be saying, and now I have to speak the truth. And that's what we need in this world. Fearless holders of the truth. So every time you get humbled, don't think that you've blown it and there's no redemption. Let it be a movement towards greater and greater surrender of the ego where there's a beginner's mind and you're continually learning and you are continually committed to the truth and you're continually committed to being a conduit. And that's the kind of confidence that is unshakable. Because it's not you trying to prove a point. It's you just being used by life. And the more it comes from a place of 
love, compassion, not making the other wrong or evil, just seeing they're confused. Not with self-righteousness, but just seeing as one of my favorite teachings that I often quote from Jesus, forgive them, they know not what they do. And when you come from love and compassion and understanding and forgiveness, and you have the fearlessness to be a, a conduit for the truth, you actually then awaken it in others as well. And that's what we need. We need as many people who are willing to be fearless in their speaking the truth, coming from a place of love and humility. That's what inspires. That's what changes this world. So we have a few minutes if there's any comments, questions. Um. Al Gore is a man that's really mm-hmm. inspired me mm-hmm. in his just going for a climate change and it's wrong. And he said after... Mm-hmm. After the last no, there's a yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's many inspiring things that he has said yeah. in, the, in the face of many setbacks. That mm-hmm. he's and it's interesting, it wasn't until he, uh, he got out of politics that the fearlessness really came through him. While he was hoping to be president, and I think he probably would have done a pretty good job because I think there's a decent guy in there. Um, you know, as the, as the story goes, he was always, he was listening to his handlers, you know, oh, I don't want to, what's the politically correct thing to do? And, but then when that was, uh, that was over, there was no holding back in him speaking the truth, no matter what people said. Bill McKibben is the same way, too. You know, the the uh, the great um, uh, environmentalist. Just, hey, there's no time to lose here. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And all of this in turn reminds me of uh, the children and the young people mm. who are emerging all over the world to really announce to the adult world that they... Um, it, it, when you see them, I've seen them both in person and in... YouTube and mm. I don't know. I, I start crying every time. It's yeah. it really, it is just a pure channel. I, I mean, they haven't yeah. even been through yeah. everything you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the purity know, of that they, channel and yeah. the eloquence. They, those those they know Parkland, what they're talking about. And Parkland, those Parkland kids, kids, is kids Emma Gonzalez or David Hogg or or a, any one of them. It's like Greta Thunberg. If you haven't seen Greta Thunberg, T-H-U-N-B-E-R-G, she's amazing. Just when, when she, she spoke to the Poland, uh, uh, the Polish, uh, uh, the climate summit, 
And, and the interesting thing about her, Greta Thunberg, uh, as she talks about, she's on the uh, autism spectrum. And she, there, she talks about it, and uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful uh, article about her, and very high-functioning, but the way she, uh, in, in, in that way, that perspective, there's no nuancing. She's not concerned or afraid, actually, of what people think of her. So she, uh, she is that fearless, and she says, I don't want your prayers, I want you to panic, you know. I don't want your, your good ideas. We're going down unless you do something. And there she is. This, she was you know, 14 or 15 at the time speaking to all these heads of state. Fearless. I'm here to tell you, you better get on with it. This is my world you're talking about. Whoa. Check her out if you haven't. She's amazing. Yeah. Actually... Uh, my our, uh, our good friends. Uh, I'm fortunate to be uh, good friends with um, uh, Daniel and Patricia Ellsberg, uh, and uh, they were just in Sweden receiving. Uh, he had re- was receiving some uh, the Olaf Palme Award for uh, for his work, and uh, they met with Greta Thunberg. And I was speaking Patri- to Patricia just uh, uh, last week, and she said. Just being in her presence, what a powerhouse. And she wasn't looking to, she wasn't impressed by anybody. She just said, we've got to do something, you know. And you could feel the, the power in, in her speaking the truth. Yeah. Any other last comments? Oh, yeah. Right next for, to you, put it next to your lips. For quite some time, I've been... Um, pondering or trying to figure out how to assess or evaluate my humility. Mm. I wonder how you do it. <laughs> well, I don't give myself a gold star, that's for sure. There's actually... But, but how do you do it? How do I do it? There's, um, and I'm just thinking, there was a line that I uh, forgot to mention by this um, uh, uh, Buddhist writer, Wei Wu Wei. He says, true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. True humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. And how do I do it? There's a kind of um, tenderness, a kind of... um, undefendedness, uh, a kind of, um, for me, the word purity of heart has always been the, uh, the one that um, resonates with me. There's an, an innocence, even though there can be, a, um, you know, a sophistication and, you know, uh, and thinking that uh, you, you have experience but uh, like the, the, also the Jesus teaching, uh, unless you become converted like children, you will not know the kingdom of heaven. And there's a, a kind of, yeah, innocence 
and tenderness and vulnerability, vulnerability uh, that comes with that um, undefended armor. And um, you just kind of, I don't know, for me, it fe- I, I can feel if there's any kind of armoring that I'm trying to protect or, or impress and uh, and it feels very different from from that um, softness softness that can be strong at the same time. So I'd say there, to the extent that there's armoring or not armoring, and a kind of willingness to be vulnerable, um, that's how I get in touch with it. Any. Anything for you? Or just it sounds like you self-assess. Like what? It sounds like you assess your humility by evaluating yourself. I assess my humility by evaluating myself. Well, there is this body-mind process that is called James. Yeah. So that's this is the only laboratory I have. I'll just make a comment then. I'm a firm believer that the worst person to assess my humility is me. Well said. I don't usually assess. You just asked, how do I assess my humility? So I reflected on it, and those are the qualities that come out. I'm not usually giving myself a a grade on how humble I am. Um, It's just, uh, it feels better to be real. And to be um, uh, to be open and vulnerable. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's uh, close with a little bit of loving kindness, and then wish yourself well. Appreciate your intention to become a more kind and conscious being. Without taking ownership of that, just feeling grateful. And then sending out thoughts of well-wishing from this room to all beings everywhere. May all see through their arrogance and their ego and learn true humility while letting the truth be expressed through them. May all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much for your attention. Have a great week and see you next week.